Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Um, let's pray together for the message this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you asking that we would be humble uh, before one another and before you. We ask that your word would instruct us. We ask that your word would um, move us to action and not just knowledge. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that we would be bound together in unity. We ask, Holy Spirit, that uh, as we read the words of Scripture, that our hearts and minds would be uh, informed as to what it is that you are calling us to do in response. And so I pray today that we would sense your heart your heart for justice, your heart for those who have been broken and bruised. We read in in the Psalms that you draw close to the brokenhearted, to those who are crushed in spirit. And so I pray that our heart would be like yours and that we would draw close to those who are crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, you know, we've spent the last three weeks talking about justice and talking about God's heart for justice. And you might wonder to yourselves, why are we spending four weeks talking about justice? And this is our last sermon on on justice. But the reason we've spent four weeks on justice is because as I've studied Scripture, I can't help but see God's heart for justice and, and God's demand that His people work for justice and uphold the oppressed. In fact, I would say that for us to live our lives as God's people, as gospel people, It requires that we share God's heart for justice. We can't say that we love God like we said last week and ignore uh, God's heart for justice. Let me just walk you through some scripture as to why my heart is so captivated by the work of justice that needs to be done and why I believe justice work is a part of proclaiming the gospel in all of its fullness. I want to begin with the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 58 We're going to go through a fair amount of scripture in this first half, so you might want to just jot the notes down. But Isaiah 58, the Lord says this to the chosen people of Israel, declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. I think it's so important as we read this passage to recognize that the people of God here are still doing all the right religious rituals. They're still worshiping through fasting, and they're still worshiping through prayer. Yet they oppress the poor, and they walk by the hungry. They turn away from those who need help. And the Lord says, true fasting is to loosen the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free. 
The prophet Amos has a similar word from the Lord to the people. Once again, God's people are going through the motions of religious devotion, but they're neglecting justice, and the Lord critiques the worship of his people. He says this, I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your hymns of praise. They're only noise to my ears. I will not listen to your music, no matter how lovely it is. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, a river of righteous living that will never run dry. And if you know the book of Amos, there's three things going on in the book of Amos that the Lord says to Amos, tell my people of their sins. There's immorality, there's idolatry, and there's injustice. And Amos really focuses a lot on injustice. He says, you trample the poor in your courts. You deny justice to those who are oppressed. You sell the poor for a pair of sandals. And my favorite line He says to the women of Bashan, these wealthy women, you fat cows of Bashan, you oppress the needy by demanding another drink. And he's saying you're complicit in the injustice of the people because, not because you're cracking the whip over the slaves, but because you demand another drink and that drives your husbands to oppress. The warning from the Lord is this, your worship of me, because they're still worshiping him, They're, they're singing songs of praise, they're bringing their offerings. He says they don't mean anything because you're complicit in the injustice of your neighbors. If you ignore the cries of your oppressed, the worship is nothing but noise. The New Testament author James echoes this. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And we see Jesus now, as we come into the New Testament, echoing his Father's heart for justice as he critiques the religious ceremony of the Pharisees. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. He says that they are on their way to the temple to tithe on every little tiny bit of income, but they walk by the hungry on the street and give nothing to them, and he critiques this. And finally, Jesus has this word of warning to all of his followers. It's such a tough passage of scripture to read, but it's in Matthew 25. He's talking about when he comes again. And he says, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Because I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? Or you needing clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And of course, remember, as we continue in that passage, that Jesus says, those who did not do any of those things, those who did not feed the hungry, care for the poor, look after the sick, will actually receive punishment. He says, those who looked after the least of these receive eternal reward, and those who did not do any of these things receive eternal punishment. And I always have started now linking the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 to his words in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So again, I want want us to notice that these people who, who say, Lord, Lord, don't you know us? They will look religious. They will do religious things. They will even believe that Jesus knows them. And they seem shocked that he doesn't know them. 
Yet Jesus says, I don't know you. And how do you know Jesus when you do for the least of these? And so I wonder if the reason Jesus doesn't know them is despite their use of his name in religious practice, is it because they walk by the poor on their way to do their religious practice? Is it because they neglect doing justice and yet instead chase after spiritual experience? Kind of similar to the Israelites who worshipped and sacrificed and fasted and prayed to the Lord yet neglected to do justice to the oppressed and, and the poor. And for me, these are texts that need to be wrestled with. They disturb my spirit. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to make us go, what does Jesus really want from me? What does it really look like to, to share the good news in all of its fullness? So I wrestle with that scripture, and I, I keep in mind as a servant of the church, you know, one of my jobs is to set direction and vision for the body of believers that, that I've been allowed to serve. I'm responsible to lead us in obedience to Jesus' commands. And he has a command for us in Matthew 25. And so my word of caution for myself, and I think for all of us, is that we can be so satisfied with our form of worship and praise and preaching that we forget there's very tangible acts of service and and acts of justice that our faith calls us to. Because James says that pure and genuine, genuine religion is to care for the widows and orphans in their distress. <clears throat> but that's why when I was applying for Cochrane Alliance Church, one of the things that really stood out to me on the website is they were promoting Freedom 8848. And I was so excited to hear about this Freedom 8848 program that was raising money to do justice. Because that's been something I've been wrestling with for a couple of years is how do we actually do any form of justice work? How does the church actually get involved? And so it was pretty cool to see this organization that was raising money for other organizations that do justice. And they were specifically focused on the area of setting people free from trafficking and sexual exploitation. And then I was even more impressed to find out that 8848 was organized and run not by pastoral staff, but by passionate members of the church. Because when we study the words of scripture and the words of Jesus, it becomes clear that every church has to have some investment in justice work, meeting the needs of the oppressed, and we have to have some form of compassion work, meeting the needs of the poor. And I think a lot of churches have some ability to meet the needs of the poor, but it's harder to figure out that justice piece. What does justice really look like? How do we do this? And so what I really would like to, to tell you about and, and what my heart is excited about is that Freedom 8848 is Cochrane Alliance Church's home-growing justice initiative built by members of this church. And given the importance that God places on doing justice, I just wanted to make sure that if you don't know what Freedom 8848 is, you get an opportunity today to learn about it and how we can get involved. And so I'm going to have Judd come up and tell us a little bit about 8848, and then I'm going to do another pastoral <laughs> little call, and then Judd will close up. But Judd, come on up. I'll get you a, a stand here for your notes we're going to use. We'll try not to mess it up. That's what you get when you hike a lot. You jump like CrossFit. You can use the blue bike. All right, so... Um I just wanted to listen to you preach more and more and more because that's so good and being dug into the word this morning has been very encouraging. I already read his notes though, so that was round two. Brent uh, was so nice also to print this off for me in large font size, double spaced, which when I was reading this morning and practicing, I was nervous because it was small and I didn't think I'd be able to read it. So here we go. 
Way back in 2016, I was asked if I wanted to be challenged with something. Uh, this morning, you might have heard the announcement for XCC or the Extreme Character Challenge. So I went on that adventure with the organization called the Fourth Musketeer. And it was within that experience that a man spoke these words to me. If men are responsible for 90% of the injustice in the world, then don't you think that Christian men especially should be responsible for bringing about justice? And of all the talks on the mountains that I heard on that weekend on that challenge, this one struck deep within my heart. And my dear friend Rem and co-founder of Freedom 8848, who was also on the XCC, invited me into a new experience. And it was a, a Sunday afternoon bike ride fundraiser with uh, Ride for Refuge, raising funds for Next Step Ministries. And we both wanted to be men that could bring justice. And so this is the first time we, we raised some funds. But for us, it wasn't enough. Our hearts were broken for what we were learning more about in terms of the amount of sexual exploitation and trafficking that's happening in our country and in our own backyards. So the two of us spent many hours wrestling with what could we possibly do to increase people's awareness of how pervasive and prevalent this issue is. We'd be walking up and down the Cochrane Hill that everyone knows where they jump off with their parachutes, asking each other how could we do something that would set more people free from this captivity. Our motivation was to bring about something giant, something that was equivalently massive as the problem itself of tackling human slavery and sexual exploitation. And God moved our hearts, bodies, and minds from participating in the very casual weekend bike ride for Next Step into creating a four-and-a-half-day event that creates much deeper impacts here in the Canadian Rockies. This challenge, now known as the Everest Freedom Challenge, We'll take participants on a six-month journey as we dig in with our partners, International Justice Mission and Next Step Ministries, through in-person seminars and mountain training hikes, allowing each athlete to know more intimately the ways that these two ministries operate and preparing the athletes to understand more in depth how they can contribute substantially to ending these injustices of sex trafficking locally and abroad. Rem and I had no idea when we set out on that bike ride that $10,000 wasn't a lot of money. With the next, with uh, Ride for Refuge, we thought, wow, we're raising a lot of funds. But then in our inaugural year in 2020 run, we had a tenfold increase and we raised $100,000. We were becoming responsible for bringing justice and we were becoming more deeply connected into God's kingdom work. We were able to make massive contributions to seeing women and children set free. We couldn't have anticipated the impacts of saving so many women and children from the darkness and evils, yet we still want to invite more people. We want to see more people help set them free. And we didn't know that God would usher us to grow a groundswell of people. Can you guys read the back of my shirt? Okay. So when we say a groundswell, we are envisioning large groups of people begin, beginning to engage in the work of justice. Uh, 
that their hearts would be on fire for setting captives free and seeing a mighty wave of justice come against the evils of human sex trafficking. Back to Brent. Turn this thing off first or what? Good. Thanks, Judd. It's one of those really impressive things that during COVID, you raised $100,000. That's a hard thing to do. I just like, it's incredible. <clears throat> and that's why I was so excited about Freedom 8848, because they get to not only raise money for partners you've already heard from, International Justice Mission and Next Steps Ministry, but one of the things they do as well, it's a six-month journey, as you as an athlete get to learn more about what's actually going on around the world. And so they're really also shining a light on something that's a really dark and uncomfortable topic, uh, a, a practice that destroys the lives of women and children and men around the world and right here in our own communities. And I know that we'd rather not talk about uncomfortable, dark things. We, we want to leave dark things alone. But anything done in the dark, things that are done in secrecy gain power. But when light is shone on it, it, when it's exposed, it tends to shrink. I don't know if you remember the story a few years ago about uh, the 12 boys and their soccer coach who were from the Thailand soccer team, and they became trapped inside a cave system that they had been exploring by rising floodwaters. And they were eventually found, but, but high water made the rescue difficult, and they ended up spending two weeks trapped 800 meters underground. I don't know if you can imagine that, but two weeks trapped in a cave. And they were eventually all rescued safely. But Judd was talking to me about that rescue operation and, and seeing that rescue operation going on for these children from the Thailand soccer team. And how the whole world, I mean, CNN and Fox News and CBC and BBC and all the big news stations, you know, every day would do an update on what's happening with the children in the cave. And around the world, people were praying for them and giving donations and, and waiting for updates on their safe rescue. And now Netflix is going to have a mini-series uh, coming out about it. But as amazing as it was to have those children be so cared for and for the spotlight of the world to be shone on them, Judd remarked that there's thousands and thousands of children and women trapped in their own caves of darkness. As Robin from IGM pointed out, you've got 50 million people worldwide trapped in some form of slavery. Imagine if the world paid as much attention to children and women trafficked or families enslaved by bond labor, or the pervasiveness of online exploitation of minors. So imagine if the spotlight of the world shone on those stories of injustice with the same intensity. And I think it doesn't because those stories are really hard. They're really horrific. I was reading a book in preparation for this sermon called Invisible Chains, and it's about sexual exploitation in Canada. Just in Canada, interviews with different police detectives and and different workers of justice, and the stories are horrific, so I, I can't even share them with you. But that's why these things thrive, is because they stay in the dark. And so Freedom 8848 doesn't exist only to raise money for organizations on the front line of justice. They also exist to raise awareness about the massive problem that destroys lives but is rarely talked about. And the God that we serve shines light in the darkness, but that's not all that he does. Because our God redeems and he restores. He sets captives free and he breaks the chain of oppression. I look at the words of Jesus in one of his first moments of public ministry and he reads this message. The spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he goes on to say that the prophecy is now fulfilled because he has come. Jesus came to rescue and restore. And I think so often we read those words of Jesus only through the lens of spiritual rescue and spiritual restoration. And that is one of the lenses that we must read those through. It is indeed true that Jesus sets us free from sin and he restores us to life spiritually. And we never want to downplay that or forget that. Yet there's another lens that we can read this through that is equally valuable, that scripture is abundantly clear, that Jesus calls us to care for the physical needs of the people around us, that those who are oppressed, that those who are crushed in spirit need to be lifted up and restored. Jesus makes that clear in the Matthew 25 passage. So sometimes I think that our, our view of the good news and our view of the kingdom of heaven can become too small and too narrow in focus. I see in the teachings and in the life of Jesus that the gospel, the good news, is holistic. It's about restoring people spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. And when we focus only on the one aspect of the good news, that's when we become blind to the command of Jesus in Matthew 25 to not forsake the needs, the physical needs of people. We forget that the true fasting the Lord calls his people to is to spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Many people in our world who have experienced unimaginable abuse and violence need Jesus the Savior, and they also need Jesus the healer. They need the one who restores and redeems. Again, reading stories of women and children who have been so horrifically abused. And I go, they need need the holistic gospel. They need the Jesus who heals the woundedness. And Jesus is a redeemer and a healer. Many people in our world need Jesus to bind their wounds, to restore what was stolen from them. And a holistic gospel understands that people need both redemption from sin, and they often need healing from woundedness. They need to be rescued from those who've exploited them or abused them, and they need healing from the wounds that others have given them. There's an encounter that Jesus has with a woman that stands out to me as it relates to the work 8848 is doing in funding organizations that not only rescue the oppressed, but also work to restore them to some sense of wholeness. I went on Freedom 8848 last year and I was hiking with a lady who had gone through the program. And just to hear her story about how her identity was completely reshaped and changed because of the restoration, because of the redemption that she has found through these these programs. But I want to talk about the story in Luke chapter 7. Jesus is eating as a guest at a Pharisee's home. And a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating here. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Can we just pause there and think how bizarre of a scene this is? That in a public setting, there's a woman who's crying so hard that the feet are being wet with the tears, and then she has her hair, and she's wiping his feet with her hair, and she's pouring perfume upon him, and Simon the Pharisee is like, what in the world is this? This is a bizarre scene. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus then responds to Simon's thoughts with a little parable about forgiveness. 
And then Jesus proceeds to change our perspective on this woman, who so far has been identified in the text only by, by Simon the Pharisee as a sinful woman. We read, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just notice the posture of Jesus in this conversation. Who is he looking at? He's looking at the woman. He's speaking to Simon, but he's turned toward the woman. Jesus is seeing her. He's acknowledging her. He's giving her respect and dignity that she is seen. And not seen as a sinful woman, but as Jesus proceeds to list Simon's deficiencies as a host, we begin to see this woman as Jesus sees her. So Simon sees her as sinful woman. Jesus removes the label sinful woman and speaks new identity to, the, to her. Jesus now identifies her as one who is forgiven, one who loves well, one who has faith that saves, and one who is at peace. So not only do we see redemption, we see restoration. They have labeled you this, but that's not who you are. This is who you are. And so often that's what I think we've done. Sometimes with people, we, we don't understand the story of where they came from. We don't understand some of the, the woundedness they carry, the abuse they've experienced, whether that's physical or mental or sexual abuse. And they don't need more labels put on them. But what they need is, is the healer who can bind up the wounds. And so the work of justice is really like being the good Samaritan, binding the wounds of those who've been crushed and oppressed. It's restoring to them the knowledge that their identity is not whatever their abuser said of them, but their identity is that they are worthy of love, worthy of respect, and worthy of dignity. And that's really what Next Steps Ministry does in their, in their programming. So as followers of Jesus, we want to look for those places where we can be a part of bringing words of life and words of truth to those who need to hear them. We want to be part of loosing the chains of injustice and setting the captives free, not only in a spiritual sense, but also in a very physical way as well. Both are important. And so as we said, Freedom 8848 raises funds for those two organizations that follow the heart of Jesus in both rescuing and restoring those who've experienced injustice and violence and oppression. We've heard from both those organizations, International Justice Mission and Next Steps. And I just want to say, if you didn't know, Ten families in our church signed up to be monthly sponsors with International Justice Mission because they had a doubling month. And because of that, one rescue operation has been fully funded. Isn't that cool? So right away, we can say, Cochrane Alliance Church, that we're part of working for justice. That the, the, the commands of Jesus are being fulfilled. Because yes, we can't be on the front lines. We can't all go in and, and break down the doors of a brothel, but we can do things like pray for those organizations. We can support them financially. We can raise awareness. And that's what Freedom 884 does. And so as we close today, I want to give Judd an opportunity to give you a rundown on how you can partner with Freedom 8848. There's all sorts of ways to partner with them. And Judd's going to give you a, a little rundown on that, and then we'll close with a video. To do that again. Uh, Brent, can I go off script for a second? 
30 seconds. Oy. I'm going to tell the walnut story. Okay. So, after our first climb, our pilot climb, my friend Sean said, Judd, we should do something with the ladies from Next Step. Okay, like what? He's like, we should build crosses with them because Sean and I are both woodworkers. I said, okay, let's make it happen. So went to a friend's shop, and the ladies from Next Step came, and we taught them how to do a half-lap joint, which is a fairly simple carpenter, carpenter joint to put the cross together. And that one's not done that way, I don't think. But. So that was the first time we did this workshop. The second time we did a workshop, we did picture frames. And the picture frames were also a half-lap joint, half-lap miter, and we had to lock them together with two pins. The two pins were made of walnut. And so we're going about teaching, and there's probably four of us carpenters and maybe six ladies in the shop as we're teaching this workshop. And uh, one lady I was working with says, so what's with the different types of wood? So what do you mean, what's with them? She's like, well, what's the difference between them? I said, well, this is pine, the frame's pine, and this is walnut, and walnut's uh, hardwoods, more expensive than pine, blah, blah, blah. Telling her about the wood, and she, she looked at me and she said, Judd, why are you wasting walnut on us? And I looked at her and I said, what are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me you're not worthy of walnut, of the expensive hardwood? I said, you're worthy. They need to know that they're worthy. They need to know that we see them, that we care for them. And that's one of the things that's the worst for the women that experience the exploitation that they go through. Is they're not seen. They don't feel like they've been seen. So I feel like it was really important on the tail end of what Brent was sharing to, to tie that story in there. Back on script. Sorry, it was longer than 30 seconds. <laughs> so Freedom 8848 was founded as a justice challenge to make massive change with ordinary people. Our vision is to imagine a groundswell of people standing together, moving mountains for justice. And we can see the massive injustice of human trafficking and know with our great, good, and loving God, we have a responsibility and an opportunity to take part in bringing justice, living rightly, having mercy, and hiking humbly with our God. Sorry, I paraphrased hiking. We are a growing and caring community of ordinary folks not necessarily highly trained social workers, therapists, or tactical police officers, just ordinary people becoming involved. We have auto mechanics, carpenters, nurses, firefighters, landscapers, accountants, camp staff, store owners, students, realtors, pilots, project managers, farmers, all who have come to this fight because it's a tangible and inspiring way of being involved in transforming lives and bringing hope, as Randall had spoken about bringing hope, shining the light of Christ into this darkness. Freedom 8848 hosts the Everest Freedom Challenge, a six-month journey starting in March. Registration opens March 1st, leading to the climb in August. And we want people to know how big this issue is. We want people to know that God's heart is broken for this issue, 
but we also want people to know it's possible to surmount this issue and that people can join the climb in many ways. So the invitation for you, the people of Cochrane Alliance, is to jump in here. Freedom 8848 addresses three pillars. Prevention, which we haven't spoken much about, what we will, as you sign up. Rescue and restoration, and we stand on those three pillars. As we journey more deeply with our partner organizations, you will deepen your awareness to bring light to those trapped in this darkness. We want you to gently explore with how we can prevent the horrible reality from taking more lives into darkness by equipping and training your minds to see through the scriptures of knowing purity, to see through the scriptures healing from addictions, to see through the scriptures hope that we can work on justice here at home and in our own hearts. And echoing the words we heard from Isaiah 58 spoken by Brent, it's not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Robin from IJAM two weeks ago laid out three things we could do. One, we need to be willing to see the injustice and might I add, not turn from it. Two, we need to be willing to get close to that experience and might I add, be bold and brave to enter uncomfortable conversations. And three, to do justice will cost us something. And might I suggest, join the climb. Become a volunteer. Sign up as an athlete. Be a prayer warrior for us. Donate your time, talents, and your heart. There's a threshold, those two sets of doors that we come through every Sunday. And every Sunday when we leave and we go back through there, we can choose what we do to carry the message from the, from the sermon and be stewards for the seeds that are planted. And I pray not only with this justice series in Freedom 848 being covered today, but as we take the time to grow the seeds out of the sanctuary, to nurture them, and to continue to talk about the messages as they're being preached to us from the word and not just a shift into talking about hockey once we get through those doors. So who can sign up for Freedom 8848? I had somebody in their 70s this morning already asking me if she can sign up. So those who have a heart for God and God's heart for justice can sign up. There are no superstar athletes, just ordinary folks. Some who've been in their 60s, some in their 20s. And we have three different tiers for that purpose. So we have the full summit tier, which is for those crazy people that want to climb the equivalent of Everest, 8,848 meters. And that will require those people a lot of grit and determination and training because that is three mountains a day for three days straight. So if you are in that crazy, loopy, ultra-athlete mindset, then you can sign up for the full summit. But the other two tiers are a little bit less crazy. So the Base camp, which is the equivalent of Everest base camp at 5,600 meters, is two mountains a day for three days straight. And then for those of you that that still seems like a little bit much, we have the mountain mover category, which is one mountain a day for three days straight. So our event starts on a Wednesday night, ends on a Sunday afternoon. So you can sign up with us at the end to crew, 
to be around the, the ranch to help us cook where everyone comes back to and uh, worship with us. We need worship team. Uh, there's lots of ways of joining the groundswell. And I think that's it. We got a video from this past summer queued up. All right, thank you, everybody. Way to go, you guys. This is awesome. You made a hard choice today to conquer each of these mountains, right? But also even leading up to today, I'm sure it's not been easy mentally, physically, spiritually preparing yourself. Next Step Ministries, we're blown away um, and immensely impressed with how you've taken action, each of you. You've taken a stand, a firm stand against, against sex trafficking um, and against exploitation that no human should ever experience. You've taken a stand for dignity, for hope, and for new life for survivors. They learn about the possibilities of choices. You guys each have chosen to do this. That's a privilege. And the women I work with, they learn that they have choice. You chose to take on this challenge. Most survivors never had the choice to endure their injustice. So thank you for choosing this challenge, for enduring these, these days. A hiker of Mount Everest once said, so who climbed the same height that you guys are doing, um, said, if you have determination, you can reach greater heights. No matter how fast or how slow you go, you'll reach your destination as long as you move. <laughs>